This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Yes, it is Bill Ballinger. Good morning, and we've got more Michigan politics. Big week in Lansing politics this week, or at least Tuesday was a big day because that was the last day for maybe as much as three months that the Michigan legislature is going to be in session. They're going on a three-month summer recess. Remember, it's campaign time, folks. We've got a primary coming up on August 7th. And we've got uh, electioneering after that, leading up to the November general election. So they had a lot on their plate when they met Tuesday in the state capitol. They had as many as 181 bills on the calendar uh, in the House and Senate to consider on Tuesday. They didn't get them all passed, but they got a lot done. They got the entire uh, 2019 fiscal year budget. Now, you know, in Michigan, our Fiscal years start on October 1st and end on September 30th of the following year. So if you pass a budget now, you're aiming at a budget that starts for the fiscal year beginning this coming October 1st. I mean, we're like four months, five months ahead of time right now. And that fiscal year will end on September 30th, 2019. So they got all these budget bills passed and they were really pretty easily passed. Very little opposition from minority Democrats. There were some protests from Democrats about certain aspects of certain budget bills, but it was really pretty smooth. A couple of big issues uh, they didn't get solved, at least for now. Uh, Maybe they can come back this uh, late summer or fall and take them up again. Uh, Auto insurance rate reform. uh, They took some faltering steps toward trying to do something with that. Uh, they provided a, a new uh, insurance rate for seniors age 65 and over. Uh, the Senate did and sent it to the House, but there it sits. Um, we've also got the huge package, 24 bills aimed at curbing the abuses that occurred uh, by Dr. Larry Nasser uh, at Michigan State University and elsewhere. As we know, over the last several decades, huge scandal. Um, Bills aimed at trying to prevent that from ever happening again. Uh, Only a couple of them got through uh, on their way to the governor for his signature. Most of the package remains to be considered uh, ironing out differences between the House and Senate later this summer. Um, Let's look at uh, some things that happened in other states. Uh, this week on Tuesday, the same day that the Michigan legislature was meeting in Lansing. Um, you had primary elections uh, in these states, including California. Uh, let me just mention that California, believe it or not, has certified to appear on the November general election ballot a California three states initiative. This would be a question put to the voters of California. Do you want to break California up into three separate states? Uh, Northern California, Southern California, and Coastal California. Uh, By the way, uh, this isn't the first time that 
something like this has happened in California. We usually hear about movements in California to possibly secede, or at least in Northern California to secede from the rest of California or from the United States or whatever. But we're talking here about leaving what is now the landmass of California intact, but dividing it up into three separate states. Now, the closest the state had ever come to partitioning into multiple states was way back in 1859 before the Civil War. A state representative named Andres Pico introduced legislation to divide the state at the 36th parallel north and south into two states. Well, that's kind of like the difference between Northern California and Southern California today. Uh, His legislation passed both legislative chambers and received the governor's signature. However, the secession crisis that led to the Civil War began in 1960, and the federal government never addressed California's request to divide. So it kind of never happened and uh, was put on hold until, guess what, this coming November. They're going to have a chance to vote on this. Now, let's assume that they vote, yes, we want to divide up into three states. Is it really going to happen? I've really got my doubts, but more remains to be heard about this story. Um, and some other things happened in other states this week. Uh, there were legislative primaries uh, in Maine, Nevada, uh, North Dakota, and South Carolina. Uh, One Republican assemblyman was defeated in Nevada. In South Carolina, two Democratic representatives and one Republican representative were defeated. Uh, One of those Democrats had served nearly 22 years in the South Carolina House of Representatives. He was one of the defeated incumbents. There were no incumbents defeated in North Dakota. Uh, Primary results in Maine are typically available after they become official, and it's a little slow up in Maine, takes about 20 days after the election concludes, so we don't really know then. Uh, Let's look at uh, how many incumbents nationally have been defeated so far in state legislative primary elections in 2018. And I bring this up because we've heard in the last uh, 18 months that there's a lot of unhappiness with state uh, legislatures around the country and with individual legislators. And a lot of people think uh, we've, we've got to uh, get rid of these bums. They've been there too long. Let's throw the rascals out. And uh, you also heard talk about an impending possible blue wave uh, of Democratic uh, candidates being elected to state legislatures and the Congress this coming November, uh, defeating in Republicans are winning open seats. Um, and the real question I have, and I think everybody asks themselves is realistically, factually, what is the record so far in terms of incumbents, uh, being defeated in state legislative primary elections so far this year, because all we've really had so far this year are primary elections at different times in different states over the course of 2018. We're a long way from November. So how many incumbents have been defeated uh, this year compared to previous years? So far, 63 
incumbents have been defeated in state legislative primary elections in 2018. That may sound like a lot, but uh, just let's put this in context. Out of the 63, 25 Democratic incumbents were defeated. Uh, In other words, 86.7% of all Democratic incumbents who participated in a primary this year in the various states that had primaries won. That's almost 87%. So big uh, majority of Democratic incumbents won. 38 Republican incumbents defeated. That's more than the 25 Democratic incumbents who were defeated, but Remember, there are a lot more Republican legislators nationally than there are Democrats because Republicans control legislatures to a far greater extent than Democrats do. In other words, 86.9% of all GOP incumbents who participated in a primary won almost exactly the same percentage of uh, incumbents as Democratic incumbents. Now, how do you compare that to previous years? Let's Go back to 2010 and take the period from 2010 up through 2016. That covers four elections, 2010, 2012, 2014, 2016. Well, an average of 127 incumbents were defeated in state legislative primaries. Um, Each one of those four elections during those four years. And when you look at states that have held primary so far this year, 62 incumbents were defeated in each of those years. That's the same as this year. So folks, it's just the same as it's been the last four elections. There are no more incumbents being defeated. We're going to take a break here and I'm going to come back in a few minutes. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We're back. Last week, we started to talk about ballot proposals. We're going to talk pretty much the rest of the program about that. We're talking about questions that are going to be on the statewide ballot on November 6th of this year. We're talking about constitutional amendments. We're talking about initiatives and we're talking about referenda, which is the plural form of referendum. Um, there are six proposals out there, uh, that are alive in some way, shape or form at this point. Now this is out of maybe a dozen such proposals that were circulating on petitions during the last 18 months, trying to qualify for the November general election ballot. And out of that number, only six have gotten to this point. Now, when I say gotten to this point, I mean, are they actually going to be on the ballot in November? Well, guess what? Only one is guaranteed right now to be on the ballot this November. Uh, it is the proposal to legalize what is called recreational marijuana. And the reason that it will be on the ballot is because people circulated petitions to bring it before the legislature to consider. And under the Michigan Constitution, uh, people in the legislature have 40 days to consider 
uh, the proposal. They can decide to enact it. They can't change it, but they have to vote it up or down, yes or no, just based on the language that's given to them by the petitioners. And the petitioners got the required number of signatures that they needed, well more than the number they needed uh, to get it before the legislature. If the legislature does not act within 40 days, it automatically goes on the ballot. So that is exactly what has happened. The legislature did not act, did not vote to enact the language of the petition and put it into law. So it's going to go to the voters in November. Now, exactly what is this proposal? I just want to read you the highlights of this proposal. It would legalize the possession and sale of up to two and a half ounces of marijuana for personal recreational use for people over the age of 21. But an individual could keep up to 10 ounces of marijuana at home. The proposal would also tax marijuana sales with a 10% excise tax at the retail level, as well as the state's 6% sales tax. The proposal would also split those revenues from the tax I just described with 35% going to K-12 education, 35% to roads, 15% to the communities that allow marijuana businesses in their communities, and 15% to counties where marijuana businesses are located. The proposal would also allow communities to decide whether they will allow marijuana businesses in their towns. They have the right to say no. The proposal would also require testing and safe transportation of marijuana in the state. The proposal would also allow for three categories of marijuana to be grown up to, number one, 500 plants, second category up to 1,000 plants, or third category up to 2,000 plants. Finally, the proposal would have the State Department of Licensing and Regulatory Affairs set the rules surrounding recreational use of marijuana and take the lead in handing out licenses. Under the current medical marijuana law, remember, we legalized medical marijuana back in 2008 here in Michigan, and the legislature passed uh, an amended law saying uh, we've got to have some rules on how medical marijuana is uh, dispensed and imbibed here in Michigan. Uh, and under the current medical marijuana law, a five-member board uh, was appointed by the governor, uh, the Senate Majority Leader and Speaker of the House, award licenses to medical marijuana businesses. Uh, they're taking a slightly different approach with recreational marijuana if it gets uh, legalized in a yes vote by the voters of Michigan this coming November. Now, uh, I've just gone through talking about uh, this proposal as one of the six and the only one at this point that is for sure going to be on the ballot, 2018-1 is what it's going to be called. But what about the other five? Well, one of the other five also came before the legislature to consider last week. And the clock started running there as well. 40 days the legislature had to consider uh, whether they wanted to enact it 
or allow it to go on the ballot in November. Well, in this case, they did exactly the opposite from what they did with recreational marijuana. They enacted it. And this is a comparatively rare occurrence for the legislature to enact an initiative petition into law without having it go on the ballot. It's only happened five times before last week since our Constitution was enacted back in 1963. Only five times. Last week became the sixth time. And this was a proposal to um, repeal what is called prevailing wage. And prevailing wage uh, is a law that was enacted back in 1965 to require the construction workers on state building projects are paid the prevailing union wage for that particular area. Uh, and a lot of people think what that did was artificially uh, pump up prices that units of government have to pay uh, these construction projects. And a lot of money could be saved. And guess whose money it is? The taxpayers. If we repealed minimum, uh, excuse me, prevailing wage, and put the law back where it was before 1965. There was no prevailing wage statute in Michigan before 1965 ever in the history of Michigan. It's only been for the last 53 years that we've had it. Well, the legislature voted by a very narrow margin to repeal prevailing wage, and it was almost an entirely Republican-passed proposal. Uh, Republicans passed it in the House, by a very narrow margin of 56 to 53. And that included 46 Democrats and seven Republicans voting not to repeal it. So seven Republicans divert, deserted their majority caucus position and voted with the Democrats. But that still meant that 56 yes votes went up on the board. It only took 55 to pass it. And since the Republicans had 63 uh, members in the House, they could afford to lose seven members and still pass the proposal. In the Senate, it was not quite as close. It was 23 to 14, but again, four Republican senators deserted their uh, caucus, um, 27 Republicans in the Senate. Uh, four uh, deserted the Republicans, went over with the Democrats. There are only 10 Democrats in the Senate and 10 plus 4 equals 14. So it's 23 to 14. So that is law. So it's not going to be on the ballot in November. Now we're going to talk about the other four proposals when I come back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. Okay, folks, we're back. Let's talk about the other four uh, potential ballot proposals as a result of petition drives in the last 18 months around Michigan. Um, there is a proposal called Earned Six, Sick Time Act. Uh, this is earned sick time. It would uh, uh, force companies and businesses with 10 or more people to earn one hour uh, to offer their employees, excuse me, offer their employees uh, to the 
possibility of earning one hour of sick time for every 30 hours of paid work that can be banked um, up to seven paid days off. Uh, For companies that are larger than 10 employees, workers could bank up to four days off by getting one hour of sick time for every 30 work. Now, petitions with the uh, seemingly uh, adequate number of signatures, but we don't know for sure yet, have been filed with the Secretary of State. And right now, the Elections Division is counting the signatures, trying to make sure they're all bona fide, and uh, they're going to try and uh, submit this to uh, an agency called the Board of State Canvassers, who are the ones who certify uh, whether these proposals should be, let's say, in one case, go to the legislature if it's an initiative, or maybe go on the ballot as a constitutional amendment. Um, So that is up for grabs. Uh, We've also got a proposal that would uh, phase in a higher minimum wage uh, in Michigan uh, over time, up to $12 an hour. Uh, And restaurants are not absolutely totally sure whether they uh, like this proposal or not. When I say restaurants, I mean not only the owners of the restaurants, but even some of their employees. Um, because it's a change to gradually move up the salary of tipped workers like bartenders and wait staff to the minimum wage. Uh, some bartenders and wait staff don't want this, arguing they make plenty of money in tips and a higher minimum wage will increase prices, scare away business, and leave their places of employment on rocky ground. Um, and Usually businesses, just in general, the owners of businesses don't like mandatory uh, minimum wage requirements imposed by government. Now, these petitions uh, to hike the minimum wage over time to $12 an hour, these have been also filed with the Secretary of State, and they are also counting the signatures, even as we speak, trying to determine whether this should go before the board of state canvassers and the board of state canvassers would then uh, possibly certify it. And if so, send it to the legislature, just like they earlier sent the proposals uh, for recreational marijuana and for repealing the prevailing wage. Uh, And by the way, I just said at the beginning of the program the legislature has gone on a summer recess, they hope, for three months, uh, waiting until uh, maybe this fall to come back. Well, guess what? If the Board of State Canvassers sends these two proposals on uh, minimum wage and on uh, sick leave, uh, the clock will start running 40 days, and the legislature uh, you know, may have to decide whether they want to come back and uh, vote on this uh, in a special session or, you know, whether they can somehow uh, do it in a matter of days uh, when they reconvene in late summer or early fall. We'll have to see what happens on that. Um, There are two other proposals uh, I haven't mentioned yet. One of them is very big. Uh, It's called uh, Voters Not Politicians, and it is a proposal that would uh, take the redrawing of congressional and legislative district lines away from the legislature where it has been reposited 
for 170 years since Michigan became a state in 1837 and give it to an independent commission, uh, which is put together in a very complicated way. The idea is to stop what is called gerrymandering, which is where one party or another uh, decides we're going to uh, skew the lines in favor of our particular party. The Republicans have controlled the entire process uh, the last two cycles, in 2001 and 2011. The governor's a Republican, both chambers of the legislature, Republican majority, Supreme Court is Republican, uh, so if there's any appeal to the Supreme Court, that's a Republican court. And the Republicans have drawn the lines. The Democrats claim this is a blatant gerrymander, and Republicans have way more seats in both the House and Senate than they should have, uh, than they deserve by the aggregate statewide vote in various elections. Also, the Republicans have nine members of Congress, Democrats only five, even though the aggregate vote for each party is roughly the same. So this proposal uh, is a constitutional amendment, so it does not go to the legislature. This proposal... Uh, will go on the ballot in November if it's certified by the Board of State Canvassers. But the Board of State Canvassers has said, we're not going to make a decision on whether to put this on the ballot until challenges to this proposal have been heard by the courts. And a rival organization to this proposal, an organization that does not agree with this proposal, thinks it's very bad, very badly written, that it's unconstitutional, has challenged it in court. Um, the Court of Appeals a week ago ruled in favor of VNP, the petitioners, and against the challenging group. So the challenging group took it to the state Supreme Court. And on Thursday of this week, the state Supreme Court uh, denied a request by the challenging group for a stay uh, against uh the board of state canvassers allowing this to go before the voters and what is pending right now. And maybe by the time you listen to this, it will have already happened is the request by the board of state, excuse me, by the challenging group for what is called leave to appeal. Um, and that means, you know, the Supreme court will have to decide yes or no. Does this thing go before the Board of State canvassers, they've got enough signatures, or no, there's something unconstitutional about it, it cannot go on the ballot. Uh, right now, the odds seem to favor VNP, the voters, not politicians, um, and it looks like it's going to go on the ballot. So that could be huge. As our guest last week, Mark Grebner, pointed out, it could draw as many as 50,000 extra voters to the polls uh, in November. Uh, along with uh, medical, excuse me, recreational marijuana. Uh, so it's something to be concerned about. There's another proposal that remains to be considered. The petitions have not been handed in yet, and it's called Boost the Vote. And uh, it's a constitutional amendment, and uh, it would allow voters the ability to vote straight party, automatically register citizens to vote unless the citizen declines, and it would also create no reason absentee voting, among other election reforms. Now, these petitions, 
may be submitted to the state and the Board of State Canvassers as early as next week. They do not have to be submitted until July 9th. So that's the deadline for a constitutional amendment. So that remains to be seen. Out of the six proposals I mentioned at the beginning of the program, this is the only one where the petitions have not actually been submitted yet. But reports from the petitioners say they think they've got more than the required number of signatures they need. They've got about 340,000 signatures so far, and they claim that uh, they're going to have 400,000 uh, signatures within a matter of weeks. So uh, those are the proposals right now. Let's take another little break, and we'll come back in just a few minutes. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. Bill Ballinger back again. Um, and by the way, if you want to get a hold of me or you might want to make any comment at all uh, about what you've been hearing on this program, because this is not a call-in program, uh, we do have uh, email, uh, bill at moretalknow.com. Or... It could be just my personal email is bill at theballingerreport.com. There's also a Friday morning podcast that is available on the Ballinger Report that you can listen to where we cover a lot of these subjects. Uh, so you can check any of those things uh, through theballingerreport.com. That's the website. Uh, or you can make comments uh, at the two email addresses that I just gave you. Uh, let me just sum up what we just went through in the first three segments of the program. Remember I mentioned there are six ballot proposals potentially, uh, that could have qualified for the November general election ballot. We know that one will not be on the ballot that is repealing the minimum wa uh, the, the prevailing wage because that was enacted by the legislature that's taken off the table. So that means there are five potential that could be on in November and they still could be as many as five in November. But the only one for sure at this point that is going to be on the ballot in November is what is called 2018-1 and that is legalizing recreational marijuana. The other four that I described in detail in the last three segments, uh, they are still hanging fire either in the court's or before the board of state canvassers. So we could have as many as five on the ballot in November, or we could have only four on the ballot in November or three or two. And by the way, if we have five, that will be a fairly high number. We had six on the ballot in 2012. And in 2012, the Michigan chamber of commerce was opposed to a lot of the stuff that was on the ballot in that year. So it came up with a campaign called just say no, just vote no, and urged the entire uh, population, the electorate in November of 2012, vote no on all of these proposals. They're, 
you know, too risky, uh, too confusing. Uh, let's just be safe and vote no on everything. Well, they got their way. They got their wish. Uh, all six proposals on the ballot in November of 2012 lost. Now, if there are as many as five on the ballot this November, no matter what they are, uh, there might be some question as to whether a campaign like just vote no will work again. It's possible it could, or maybe one or more of these proposals, it could be recreational marijuana, it could be voters, not politicians, are going to prove so popular that they will break through and they will win, uh, whereas the others won't. Or, guess what? The legislature could decide to try and keep a couple of these off the ballot. Uh, And if that's the case, you won't have as many as five. You'll have only, let's say, three or four. Uh, There was another event held in Lansing this week on Wednesday. It was quite interesting, uh, put on by the Michigan Political History Society, and it was uh, on the subject of shared power. Uh, the one and only time in recent Michigan history, in fact, I think the only time uh, in Michigan history dating back to when we became a state in the 19th century, that the House of Representatives has been equally divided, 55-55 between Republicans and Democrats, was back in 1993-94, and that was the group that came up with uh, Proposal A which was the big uh, school finance reform ballot proposal that was approved by voters in March of 1994 uh, that put in place our system of funding K-12 public education in Michigan today. Um, And it was a remarkable two-year period uh, because the Republicans and Democrats decided we are going to decide you know, how we run this ship with an equally divided membership, 55 Republicans and 55 Democrats. Uh, and the way they did it was really kind of amazing. They alternated uh, one month to the next, who was the speaker. They alternated who had control of the committees. They alternated uh, who, which party had control of floor action. And a lot of what went on at this meeting of the Michigan Political History Society on Wednesday of this week was uh, the former speaker uh, of the uh, co-speaker of the House of Representatives, the Republican co-speaker, Paul Hilligans, a Republican from Holland, Michigan, who was on the panel. And uh, unfortunately, the Democratic co-speaker in 93-94, Curtis Hertel, uh, state representative at that time has since died and uh, he could not be there, but his chief of staff, Dan Lepp, L-O-E-P-P, Lepp, who is now the head of Blue Cross Blue Shield, he was there and he has written a book on the subject of this particular shared power session in 1993-94. It was quite an amazing event. And Dan Lepp and Paul Hilligans regaled the assembled crowd, which included, by the way, a lot of people who were lobbyists and legislators and uh, bureaucrats from that era nearly uh, 25 years ago uh, when there was shared power in Lansing. And one of the things they bemoaned was uh, the fact that 
you did not have the bipartisan cooperation between members that was enforced uh, and uh, induced almost by this shared power arrangement in 1993 and 94. In other words, the members in 93 and 94 had to get along and they had to cooperate and they had to work across the aisles and there had to be some consensus and some compromise. And it really worked probably better than it ever has uh, in recent Michigan history, if not ever. And both co-speaker Hilligans and Dan Left said, you know, that is missing in Lansing today. Things are so polarized and members are at each other's throats and it is very partisan and hostile. Uh, and things just aren't working uh, the way they did in 93, 94. And that's a bad thing. Um, so I would just like to point out one thing that has been introduced in the legislature in the last uh, couple of weeks that I think indicates that bipartisanship is perhaps not dead in the legislature because uh, it shows that Democrats and Republicans can get together and uh, they can cooperate with a lot of special interest groups who you would think would not necessarily be able to agree on things. And this is uh, relating to something that has been very much on everybody's minds, not just in Michigan, but nationally this spring. And that is these terrible school shootings and uh, mass shootings by deranged gunmen uh, in various locales throughout the country, whether we're talking about Florida or Las Vegas or California or Texas. Um, and basically what has happened is that a coalition comprised of Michigan's top law enforcement and education groups uh, got together with top Republicans and Democrats in the state Senate, and they introduced legislation aimed at preventing violence in the classroom here in Michigan. The Senate package is led by State Senator Margaret O'Brien, who is a Republican from Portage, uh, just outside of Kalamazoo. Uh, Representative uh, Republican Rick Jones of Grand Ledge. And Senator Jim Ananick, who's a Democrat, uh, the minority leader of the Senate, a uh, Democrat from Flint, modeled this legislation is after a proposal announced by the coalition in late March. Uh, similar bills have been introduced in the state house earlier in May. Now, this particular school safety reform plan is based on clear, actionable strategies that both are effective and the group claims immediately available. Basically, this is what the package would do. More school resource officers, meaning sheriffs and police, working in school facilities through a new state grant program. More school mental health professionals, uh, ensuring safer buildings for students and teachers, and mandatory reporting of threats and graduated penalties. Well, guess what? Everybody is on the same page, including the Michigan Association of School Boards uh, and other groups that are not necessarily allied with the chiefs of police and the sheriffs and school psychologists, et cetera, et cetera. But they've all gotten together. So all is not uh, lost. Bipartisanship is not dead. It exists. So let's end on that happy note. And I will talk to you again next week.